Since the Lord is Lord of heaven and earth, how can we keep from singing? Indeed. Would you pray with me, please? Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still, that we might hear from you. Amen. In the year 586 BCE, the Babylonian Empire invaded Israel. And in so doing, everything that had for so long centered and balanced and structured Israel's way of life was upended. Long-assumed rhythms and routines were suddenly stripped of meaning. Long-cherished notions of national identity were suddenly thrown into question. The very idea of Yahweh's faithfulness to the community, something that the Israelites had long taken for granted, well, suddenly that felt less than certain. And thus the Israelites found themselves wrestling with questions both practical and existential. How can we sing songs in a time such as this, they began to ask, giving voice to a profound sense of disorientation and despair? How can we possibly sing now? It's a painful and searching question, this, seeing as at its core, singing is an expression of hope. Will we even have a future, they were in effect, now asking in Babylon? Will we ever be able to sing together again? Today marks week number two in our sermon series on disruption and disorientation, on change, and on the anxiety and unsettlement that change necessarily brings about. And after looking last week at the disruption and disorientation that Israel experienced during the exodus from Egypt, we turn today to the disruption and disorientation that Israel experienced a thousand years later during the Babylonian exile. For, like the exodus long before it, the experience of exile in Babylon was also one of deep change and disturbance for the Israelite community. So much so that the community very nearly came unraveled during this time. The things and the beliefs that make for community having become less and less certain for them on the exile's account. In his acclaimed book, The Great Disruption, Stanford professor Francis Fukuyama writes... A true community is not formed every time a group of people happens to interact with one another. 
True communities are bound together by the values and norms and experiences shared among their members. In other words, community is not about living near one another. Community is about sharing certain things with one another. And in the case of Israel, the values and the norms and the experiences that they'd long taken for granted at home in the promised land, well, those quickly began to fracture and fray under the external pressures being imposed upon them by the exile. Take, for instance, the very fact of exile itself. You see, the community didn't even agree on the reason for it. That is, on whose fault it was. On what king or what priest in their lineage was to blame. On who was ultimately responsible for the situation. And then, similarly, Yahweh's role in all of this suddenly became a matter for intense debate. That is... Why would Yahweh even allow this to happen? Was it because Yahweh was not that powerful after all? Was it because they deserved it and Yahweh was punishing them? Was it because Yahweh was teaching them a lesson? Was it because Yahweh was nothing more than a figment of their imaginations? They all had different points of view on this. So these questions and so many others like them were suddenly open for debate. Questions that before now had scarcely even crossed their minds. And their sudden differences of opinion on these things surprised them. And caused them to become increasingly heated with one another. And to begin spinning off into various splinter groups. And then on top of all of that, their lived experiences were suddenly becoming so different from one another. For some of them, notably the elite among them in the priestly class, some of them were being treated rather decently throughout the ordeal, while others of them were being brutally harassed and taken advantage of. Some of them were making out quite well in this new reality, all things considered while others of them were being relegated to the very bottom of Babylonian society. I could go on with various examples like these, but I trust that the point is clear. That point being that due to pressures imposed on them by the exile, due to changes they were undergoing, Israel... A once unified community soon began to experience the fracturing of values and norms and experiences that had until this time bound them tightly together. Well, 2,500 years later, we embark on this sermon series because in so many ways we can relate to the Israelites' experience. Can we not? 
Yes, in a period of profound disruption such as the present, we, like our Israelite forebears, begin to sense that our own values are drifting apart. That the norms governing our own beliefs and behaviors are taking different shapes. That our individual lived experiences are growing more and more distinct from one another's. And thus, like Israel in the exile, we too feel the fragmenting force and the constant pressure of external disruption. Which is why, as a community of faith, it is so important that we turn back to previous periods in our community's history in order to help us understand our own times, to situate ourselves within the much longer stream of history. For Israel, we must note, lived with and grappled with this experience of disorientation and disruption for years during the exile. With this experience anger and of confusion and of unsettlement and of communal unraveling for years. And we must also note it, like the Exodus long before it, was an experience that could very well have undone them as a community. Which is to say they could have come completely apart during the exile. But instead, somehow, amid that profoundly disruptive period, amid that period of bickering and uncertainty and deep communal unrest, the community began to realize that despite the different directions that their lives and beliefs and experiences were heading They nonetheless shared a history and a story that was well worth preserving. And to that end, that there were therefore no doubt still values and norms and experiences that could continue to bind them together and propel them forward. And thus they began to reflect on what these binding items might be. And as they did, they slowly began to realize that despite their uncertainty as to why the exile happened, something they debated the entire time, nonetheless, they to a person really did believe that Yahweh was faithful and good. That his love for them and his goodness toward them really was from everlasting to everlasting. They agreed on this, they realized. And likewise, they came to realize that despite how different their lived experiences were becoming, the very experience of exile had been and still remained deeply unsettling for all of them. They realized that they shared this feeling of existential unsettlement. And then finally, they remembered anew 
that kindness and compassion and grace are simple virtues without which no group of persons can ever live happily and healthily together. And thus, taking these things as a whole, they, over time, as a community, began to forge a new consensus concerning the values and the norms and the experiences that could bind them together. Ultimately, recentering their communal identity from the rituals and practices and ways of life under the temple system and to a shared trust in Yahweh God and a shared identification of their uncertainty and unsettlement and a shared commitment to basic virtues such as kindness and generosity and grace. It's a beautiful thing when you really stop to consider it. That a people so deeply torn apart by an experience of external disruption could find their way back to one another through an act of communal discernment and reimagination. It's a beautiful thing. And I draw our attention to it this morning simply so as to say this, that we would do well to learn from our forebears' example. For in a time when we too feel the pressures of profound change, and when we too sense that things in the world around us are slowly unraveling, In such a time, we too would do well to come together as a community of faith to reimagine what values and norms and experiences might recenter us as a people of God, might bind us together anew as the body of Christ on earth. Dear family, it is not for us to solve the problems of division and disunity that right now mark the larger world around us. But it is for us to ensure that amid such division and disunity, we, as a small body of committed Christian disciples, can retain our unity as a worshiping community. The external pressures are indeed great. And the internal implications these pressures impose on us are indeed real. Things many of us agreed on just yesterday and took for granted now no longer seem so certain to others of us today. And outside these sanctuary doors, many of us live increasingly distinct lives from one another. Lives that in some cases make very little sense to some others of us. And knowing this can feel threatening and unsettling. And thus, like in the Babylonian exile, such feelings of difference and misunderstanding can slowly lead to communal unraveling. It can. 
also like in the exile, such feelings can become the crucible through which we can begin to commit ourselves to the work of discernment and reimagination. To the work of recentering ourselves as a people of faith. Which is to say the period of disruption we are now undergoing could very well be an invitation to let go of some of the things we thought bound us together as God's people. And to begin reimagining what things will continue to bind us together as we move forward into an increasingly uncertain future. And if so, that is, if indeed we are receiving such an invitation, I submit that in taking up such a work, we do well to start right there where our forebears started so long ago, which is to say by confessing our shared belief in the faithfulness of God and by humbly confessing that we all feel unsettled by what's happening in the world around us. And then by confessing that kindness and patience and generosity and grace are virtues that ought always to govern how we live and move and have our being in this world. Yes, I submit that in a time of such profound disruption and disorientation as the present, if indeed we are receiving an invitation to reimagine the center of Christian community, that this is precisely the place that we ought to start. Now perhaps this may sound overly simplistic. Perhaps this may even sound hopelessly naive. But I'd remind you that at its core, these three simple confessions are the very and only reason we are gathered here together this morning. For without these three simple confessions, the community in exile would almost certainly have come undone. No, in a time of such profound change as this, we at Boulevard can't bind an entire world back together. I wish we could. But we can bind our own community so tight that nothing save for the return of Christ Jesus can ever prevent us from showing back up here together tomorrow and from hugging one another and from praying for one another and from forgiving one another and from doing this life together in the name of the risen Lord Jesus, no matter what we might happen to think on a number of other things. You know, some hundred years after the exile ended, long after many of the Israelites had returned back home, while many of the others had decided to remain there behind, there in that place where they'd once feared for their future, a Jewish woman named Esther rose to the position of queen. And there, in a remarkable act of communal preservation, 
Esther was able to use her royal authority to thwart a plan designed to exterminate the entire Israelite community, both those remaining in the Babylonian Persian region as well as those now living back home in the Promised Land. You see their belief in the faithfulness of God and their remembrance of their shared disorientation amid exile. And their commitment to kindness and compassion and grace toward one another had kept them across the distance and through the intervening years bound together as a community. As such, when that murderous plan was thwarted and the Jewish community saved, a formal celebration was instituted. A celebration that all of Israel was exhorted to mark and celebrate forevermore. And thus, to this day, on the day of Purim, the Israelite community remembers the travails that God brought them through in Babylon and Persia. And dear family, as they remember, they sing. And as they sing, they sing songs of gratitude and of hope. How can we sing songs in a time such as this? They once asked as a community. Well, over time, they discerned together how. So too, dear family, can we. So too can we. Yes, in a time of change and uncertainty all around us, in a time when many are wondering what the future might hold, this we can cling to with certain hope that Christ Jesus our Lord is faithful and that we all feel unsettled by the changes taking place all around us and that kindness and grace and generosity toward one another will always carry the day no matter what. Yes, if we, like our forebears before us, can center our lives around these three confessions, then in an otherwise uncertain world, we can rest certain of this as a worshiping community. That unless Christ Jesus should return beforehand with his kingdom, some 100 years from now, our children's children's children will still be gathering together in celebration, singing songs of gratitude and hope concerning the faithfulness of God unto His people. And all God's people said, Amen.